Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. We pay a visit in today's episode to the gardens of a couple of our favorite gardeners. We chat with America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, in her garden about having a checklist if you're starting your very first garden. Think of it as learning from the mistakes of others, or to put it more politely, garden wisdom. And Master Gardener Pam Bone spies a fruit tree that she just loves. It's her favorite peach. And she talks about the benefits of getting out in the backyard orchard in early spring and thinning out that fruit. Your peaches, apricots, plums, nectarines, apples, and other deciduous fruit trees are going to thank you with big, beautiful, tasty pieces of fruit this summer. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. At one point or another, everybody has a first garden. A lot of people get the bug maybe when they go to a nursery and see some plants they like and figure it's time to start. Whoa, just just hold on a minute. Before you plant anything, we have a checklist for you before you start your first garden of things you ought to consider. Consider this. Your first garden checklist. Debbie Flower is here, and here we are in Debbie Flower's garden. And even though, Debbie, you're an accomplished gardener, a retired college horticultural professor, by the way, America's favorite retired college <laughs> horticulture professor, uh, we should point out that anytime you move to a new house, it's a new challenge, it's a new garden, and it, it, it's kind of hard to tell gardeners this, but one piece of advice is live with the yard for a year and notice where the sun is. Absolutely. Living with the yard for a year is very difficult to do, but it is worth doing. And I've had many gardens, and I can't say that I have the patience that would allow you to live with the garden for a year. So I... <laughs> well, there's pots. Have you heard of smart pots? <laughs> there are pots, yes. And then there are annuals. And so going out with sunflower seeds in the summer or just trying things and making sure they get enough water and seeing what happens is uh, what you can do during that first year when you need to see where the sun is in the middle of winter, in the middle of summer, in spring, Marchish, and in fall. Yeah, one thing we did when we moved to the new house uh, six years ago is we lived with it for a year. We planted in pots temporarily, and I took pictures of the yard at four different times of the year throughout the day. So it's like once a month, every four months, every three months or so, I'd take a picture. I'd take a picture at 9 a.m., at noon, 
3 p.m. and 6 p.m. just so I would remember where the shadows are, where the shade is, because all the neighbors had trees. And I wanted to know definitely which ones, which of those areas are going to get six to eight hours or more of sun a day. Turns out not many. <laughs> yes. And, and then you convinced your neighbor to remove some of those trees, which, you know, by taking those pictures, you knew what needed to go. Pictures are wonderful. Pictures are not only do they inform you of, of sun and shade, but they show you how your yard is changing over time and and what wonderful things you've done to it. And that's the other thing, too, to consider, even if it's not your first garden, is plants grow and there are new areas of shade. So if you're going to be putting in plants that require full sun, you have to stay aware that the area that was full sun five years ago may not be full sun now. I guess when we're talking about planting a first garden, we should get a little bit more specific. Are we talking a flower garden, an herb garden, a vegetable garden? I guess with a vegetable garden, one thing you should make note of is what does your family enjoy eating? And no, there are no French fry plants. <laughs> yes, I have a vegetable bed, one raised bed and some in the ground area that I use for growing vegetables. And my production of vegetables has decreased over time because of the things my family will not eat. So why should I grow them if nobody's going to eat them? I have neighbors <laughs> who I can give some stuff to, but I remember showing up at one neighbor's house with some tomatoes and she said, you know, I'm not going to eat all your leftover tomatoes this summer. I said, okay, fine. Well, do you want these? <laughs> she took those, but we never took any back. So the garden has gotten smaller. Uh, and at times I've thought about just converting it to annual flowers so that I could have bouquets of flowers. I mentioned that to a horticulture friend and she said, as long as you have a, a good um, farmer's market nearby. So, yes, you do need to decide what you're going to grow, what's going to make you happy and look for those sun shade conditions. Six to eight hours of full sun for those flowers or those vegetables is definitely desirable. And I, in fact, had to move my raised bed this year because... A tree got bigger and it started shading the bed and it, I wasn't getting enough sun for production. Another thing that beginning gardeners tend to do is, well, their eyes are bigger than their tummy. And when it comes to planting, they'll put in way too much. You know, those uh, suggestions on the back of seed packets and that come with uh, six packs of plants as far as spacing of plants. Uh, that's actually pretty good advice. It is. And if you're looking at landscape plants rather than annuals or things you're going to grow from seed, you need to look at the size the plant is going to be when it's mature. That's typically on the tag. If not, you're going to have to look the plant up and, and find out how tall and wide it's going to become. Sometimes you only learn how tall it's going to become. Then you assume it will be equally as wide and then space them in the garden so that they will at maturity not run into each other. Maybe they'll touch. That's what you have to decide. Where your path is going to be? Where do you want to be able to walk between the plants? Where can the plants touch? But you need to give them enough space to get big enough. Exactly. A friend of mine is a landscape architect. And I asked her when I was teaching what is if, if there was one thing she could say to, to people when they are planting their gardens or yards, what would it be? And her number one thing was space the plants far enough apart. More problems are created by them being too close together than anything else. And I'm guilty of that as well, planting too close together, because it's so easy to do. When you buy them, they're so small and cute, and they look so pretty together. And having these wide spaces between them doesn't make a lot of sense. But space them for their health and for the future of your garden. 
And not only is it healthier for the plant, it also can keep bad pests and diseases away as well. Because when you cut down air circulation by planting too close together, especially if you live in an area of high humidity, you could have all sorts of disease issues that could be mitigated by allowing air to circulate freely through those plants. Absolutely true. Yes. And when you're walking around your yard figuring out what you want to plant and where you want to put it, go inside the house and look out the windows and think about where you spend most of your time indoors and which windows you're going to be looking out and think about what you want to stare at for the rest of your life out those windows. And especially if you have a kitchen window, the vegetable garden, the fruit trees, the food products should be within easy view of that kitchen window. Yes, when I initially laid the hardscape in this landscape we're sitting in right now, the landscaper suggested putting the vegetable garden in a place I would not see it from the patio or any window. And I said, no, I have to be able to see it on a regular basis. So I tend it. Keep that in mind, too, when you're planting the garden. Do some uh, sitting inside and look out and, and think about what you want to see that's out there. And remember that taller plants closer to your window may block the view of whatever's behind it. So if you want a complete view of the yard, if you're going to put in those trees or those shrubs, you may want to stick those further out so you can see the rest of your garden. Or if you're trying to protect some privacy, then you would want those taller plants closer to the window. Or you can create rooms and create a space that where you see it makes your landscape feel bigger. If you create where you can only see a small area and then you have to walk around a plant to see the next area in, in your garden. Lots of, lots of different ways. I love the looking out the window uh, idea as a, as a way to design the garden. I don't necessarily want to see my neighbor's house when I look outside the window. And so I've done lots of view blocking by planting trees and evergreen shrubs in places that will block those views. When you're planting your garden, one thing to keep in mind is where's the water faucet? How big of a chore is it going to be to water that garden? And this is where planning may require some pencil and paper because you may want to lay out an irrigation system, perhaps even a drip irrigation system. You may want that. And in our dry California climate, that's uh, almost a must. But I've gr lived in places that get rain year round. And in that case, we just needed to be near a hose bib. But we still needed to be near that hose bib instead of dragging it, you know, 50 feet across from, from the you know back of the garage over to the vegetable garden. So having that in place is critical. Exactly. So plan on installing a permanent irrigation system so that the water controls are as close to the garden as possible. Or if you're putting in an entire irrigation system for the whole yard, consider valves that are dedicated to the vegetables that you can put on different timers as opposed to if you have a lawn. Uh, lawns are some of the highest water users in the landscape. So Many things can survive with much less water than that. Even in our climate here that is dry, definitely from May through October, I don't water most of my landscape more than once every two weeks or so. Lawns, especially lawns that are mowed, need to be watered more frequently than that. Grass needs more water. So you don't want everything on the same watering regime. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. 
Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not smart pots. There are satisfied smart pot owners who have been using the same smart pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose smart pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate smart pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in smart pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of smart pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the smart pot. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. If you haven't shopped at your favorite independently owned nursery lately, well, you're missing out. Now arriving are Dave Wilson Nursery's excellent lineup of farmer's market favorites. It's great tasting and healthy fruit and nut varieties. They're already potted up and ready to be planted. We're talking about almonds, blackberries, blueberries, boysenberries, figs, grapes, hops, kiwi, mulberries, olives, pomegranates, and much more. Oh, you want more? Well, here you go. Your favorite Dave Wilson bare root deciduous fruit trees are arriving. Peaches, plums, cherries, including my favorite, the plum apricot cross, the pluot. Wholesale grower Dave Wilson Nursery has probably the best lineup of great tasting fruit and nut trees of any grower in the United States. Find out more at their website, DaveWilson.com. And while you're there, check out all the videos they have on how to plant and grow all their delicious varieties of fruit and nut trees. Plus, at DaveWilson.com, you're going to find the nursery nearest you that carries Dave Wilson's plants. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Well, to plant a garden, you need soil. And if you're not doing it in pots, if you're doing it in the ground and you haven't planted a, a garden in your yard before, what are some first steps you should take? Well, sometimes if you move into a place like we did here that was empty for two years because uh, it was back when mortgages were in trouble in 08-ish, the, the landscape has not been maintained and it's full of weeds. So the first thing to do is clear those weeds away. Clear the weeds away. And there is debate now about rototilling soil. Yeah. And I could justify rototilling once initially to put in uh, some compost. But if you don't want to do that, well, one easy way to improve your soil is through sheet mulching. Yes, yeah, sheet mulching. I did that at my mother's house. She wanted some to add some perennials around her. Um, she had a, a light on a post in the yard near the driveway. And so one time I went out and laid down a bunch of newspaper. Takes several layers. Newspaper is now made with soy ink. And so you use the dull pages that, not the shiny ones, they may have other 
uh, chemicals in them you don't want in your soil. But the dull newspaper, several layers, five, six layers, lay it down in the fall. I put mulch over it, uh, bark mulch over the top, leaf mulch, whatever I could find, and then let it sit. And by spring, you will have smothered those weeds and you can plant into it. And you've improved the soil as well. Right. Correct. Another thing to watch in that first year before you plant is where does the water go when it rains? Are there muddy areas that seem to persist for days after a storm? Those areas should probably get marked off. It could be as simple as uh, taking a T-post or a stake and just stick it in that perennial muddy area. Most plants that are desirable don't like muddy soil. So in those areas, you may want to consider uh, raised beds or planting in pots. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have a spot like that in this yard, and I put the vegetable garden, the raised bed near there, covering part of that spot. Part of it I just don't use in the winter when we get our rains here in California. For that person starting a garden for the first time, I, I would kind of shy away from recommending starting from seed and unless the plant typically grows from seed and just go to the nursery and get yourself a six pack, a four pack, a gallon plant, a five or a 15 gallon uh, container. But what are some easy confidence building plants to put in as far as uh, annuals go, perennials and vegetables? Well, annuals are plants that complete their life cycle in one year. Often it's a portion of one year, let's say from spring through summer, and it and it goes to seed and dies in the fall. That's a great time to, to garden, especially with kids. And with kids, big seeds are very desirable because they can handle them well. And they can see the results of those plants that come up quickly. And so sunflowers are one wonderful one, easy to start from seed. Zinnias are another one that's easy to start from seed. Not such big seeds, though. There are beans, that can, you can grow from seed. They can be bush beans that you're going to get an edible crop from, or they can be a vining scarlet runner bean, which does give an edible crop, but I often grow it just for the beautiful red flowers it produces. And I did some research on it back when my kids were in a daycare and found that uh, at that time, uh, in, the, in the late 80s anyway, the research said that a kid could eat the entire plant and not get sick. So it's a, a great thing to have around little ones as well. Um, Perennials are plants that you can expect to last for more than a year. Right. And then the, the trick... I think about perennials is planting them at the right time. Nurseries will have them when they're in flower, and I would prefer to buy them when they're not in flower and put them in uh, in the fall. Some There are perennials that bloom in the fall, but there are a lot of perennials bloom in the spring and the summer, and I would prefer to plant them when they're out of flower. They root better that way. When it comes to planting vegetables, uh, some of the easier ones to grow include greens, such as lettuce. But the trick with things like lettuce is what climate do you live in? If you live in a hot climate, those uh, lettuces and some spinaches and, and other of those leafy greens that you may enjoy do best in the cool season planted between September and February, March. If it's the warm season, you could switch to some other heat-loving plants that are easy to grow, perhaps uh, tomatoes or peppers. Right. Cucumbers are also pretty easy to grow from seed and another big seed. But all of these things we're talking about need that six to eight hours of, of sun, um, except maybe the greens. If you have no bright sun or if the spots of bright sun move around, 
a uh, couple things to consider. One is put the plants in a pot and move, put the pot on wheels and move it around from sunny space to sunny space. That's a whole lot of labor, by the way. The other is to grow things where you eat the leaves, like the lettuces and greens. How do you feel about mulch? <laughs> you can see <laughs> my yard is full of mulch. That's one of the reasons I can do that watering so infrequently is I have organic mulch on top of this soil and that breaks down with the help of naturally existing uh, organisms and the, the what's left, the broken down organic matter is what holds water in the soil and that helps the plants to have an even water even though I'm only applying it once every two weeks or so, the roots are getting it over a much longer period of time. I wouldn't use the same arborist mulch in my vegetable garden that I would use on my landscape, but you can buy uh, compost or you can make your own compost, something that is a little finer, not so much wood uh, in, in the product. Exactly. Yeah. You save the arborist clippings for your hardwood plants and then use worm castings or compost for your uh, soft bodied plants. Right. The one thing we haven't talked about, and you, this should be part of your first garden checklist is how much time are you willing to devote to taking care of it? Because just like raising a family, it's all about maintenance. Yes, it really is. I like to walk my landscape every day. And I have paths. You need to set up paths when you create a garden so that you can get around and check on things. And I, the, the number one thing I do is weed. But often I need to prune something that's, that's growing out into the path. Uh, look for those pests. See what's flowering. See what needs to be harvested. You can't know what to do in the garden if you don't visit it on a regular basis. Smart gardeners have multiple pairs of pruning shears that they, they hide throughout the garden in like old mailboxes or some sort of structure to protect them from the elements, which isn't a bad idea because as you learn to enjoy gardening, you will always have a pair of pruning shears with you. Yes, I have them in my car, I have them in the kitchen, I have them in the garage, and I often have one in my back pocket. One thing you notice as you become familiar with your garden, you're going to find out when your plant is healthy and when it's not healthy just by observing. And that's something you've said a lot on this podcast is get out there and spend time with your plants. That's right. Get to know them, enjoy them, and visit them so you know when things are starting to go wrong. It's so much easier to control a problem at the beginning when it starts to happen than waiting until it gets much bigger. And the number one example of that is weeds. Weeds are much easier to control when they're small, but if you let them flower and produce seed, then you've just increased the problem. Attack weeds early. And by the way, one helpful hint that a lot of experienced gardeners follow is they realize while they're having their morning coffee, oh, I need to get out in the yard and do such and such today. Write it down. Put it in your pocket. Because when you go outside, you're going to find other things. And before you know it, four hours have gone by and you're going to ask yourself, now, why did I come out here originally? That is so true. I use uh, my filing system is my pants pockets. but <laughs> That is so true. I do write them down with the chores that I, I think need to be done. Uh, I've been known to wake up in the middle of the night and write things down because <laughs> for whatever reason, it's going through my head. So, yes, uh, and, and you do. It's like there are jokes about people going into one room to do something and never doing it because they find something else to do. The garden is just the same way. 
We'll have this checklist on the Beyond the Basics newsletter that comes out on Friday, so you can look for it there. I hope you weren't trying to take notes and drive and listen at the same time. So, again, that'll be part of uh, the uh, Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Beyond the Basics newsletter coming out this Friday. Your first garden checklist. Debbie Flower, great to be in your garden. Thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying it. My pleasure. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode in the show notes. Maybe you'd rather read it than listen to it. That's not a problem. We have a complete transcript posted, and you can find that link in the show notes or on our new homepage, GardenBasics.net. That's where you can find that link as well as all the previous episodes of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. There, you can leave a message or link up with our social media pages, including our YouTube video page. And at GardenBasics.net, click on the tab at the top of the page to read the Garden Basics Beyond Basics newsletter. And that usually has a bonus podcast attached to it. Plus, in the show notes, there are links to any products or books mentioned during the show and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can just listen to the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. Want to leave us a question? Again, check the links at GardenBasics.net. And when you click on any episode at GardenBasics.net, you're going to find a link to SpeakPipe, where you can leave us an audio question without making a phone call. Or go to them directly, speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics. You want to call us? We have that number posted at gardenbasics.net. Spoiler alert, it's 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964. Email? Sure, send it along with your pictures to fred at farmerfred.com. Or again, go to gardenbasics.net to get that link. And if you send us a question, be sure to tell us where you're gardening. Because, as I am fond of saying, all gardening is local. Find it all at GardenBasics.net. We're with Pam Bone in her backyard here in Sacramento County. Pam Bone is a Sacramento County Master Gardener, and we're doing a little tour of her backyard, and she stopped at this peach tree and went into high gear about why she loves this peach tree. Pam, what is this peach tree? This is Suncrest, and we were at the State Fair, the California State Fair one year, and they were selling these peaches, and we bought one to eat, and it was phenomenal. I said, what is that peach? And it was Suncrest. So we said, okay, the next time we have a space open up in the landscape, we are putting it in. Well, we had a another kind of peach here. It was a Babcock, and nobody liked it. So it was a beautiful tree, and it bore well, but we said, nope. We're taking it out, and we planted the Suncrest, and I don't regret it at all. It has the most delicious peaches. It bears beautifully. You can keep it nice and small, and yet look at this crop already uh, developing. Beautiful tree. Wonderful. Yeah, we should point out, too, it looks like you've been doing some thinning of the fruit. A little bit more to come, but basically you're looking for about a the width of a fist between the remaining pieces of fruit in order for that fruit to develop a good size. Yes, uh, this is one thing that both of us get out here and do, and we've already done one pass through. We kind of wait to just make sure, just in case you get a little bit of drop, um, if something happens or whatever. But the most critical one is when the fruit is still as small as it is here. And that's going to give you the best size. Uh, so we're looking for that. And so, yes, I can see right here, here's a double. I can just pinch it with my finger right now and take it off. And I think I'll do that while we're standing here. So I'll make sure. 
Now you've kept the tree at about six feet tall and it's got about a six foot spread too. So it, it makes a very nice looking shrub that probably gives enough uh, Suncrest peaches for you and uh, everybody. Actually, it produces so much fruit that uh, I was actually able to freeze uh, two quarts of peaches in addition to making a peach pie and eating fresh peaches on this uh, tree. And this tree is only, I think, uh, five years old now. It's uh, truly amazing. It has just grown beautifully, bears beautifully, and the fruit is just delicious. And it's a good-sized fruit, but you do have to thin in order to get that as well, too. But you're right. We're kind of now at the stage where we've developed the main scaffolds. The secondaries have been developed. We've got our tertiaries, and now we're just maintaining the height and going to keep it as is. There you go, the Suncrest Peach. You may want to plant one. Pam Bone, thank you. Thank you. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.